0: Good Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast, the mailbag edition with Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Jesse Simonton. Brent Hubbs, glad to have you along with us. Again, be sure and check out Blue Water Climate Control at BlueWaterClimateControl.com, or you can visit them on Twitter at H 20 underscore climate. And let's uh, jump into things before we get into a couple of uh, mailbag questions. Rob, Tennessee, um, not surprising here. I think there's a couple of questions in the mailbag about it. But Tennessee loses Jalen Johnson. You, know, you had the story on it this morning, um, just kind of what it means for Tennessee. How realistic is it, you think, to get a grad transfer? And I'm assuming you were not surprised by the Jalen Johnson move. No, I mean, we talked about it in the podcast. I mean, I pretty much – I mean, I don't want to go all AP
1: here. But uh, we pretty much mentioned it in the war room. I guess it was a month or so ago that, you know, if you're – you know, fifth-year senior who he was averaging 12, 15 minutes a game on this year's team, and Tennessee's bringing in Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. You know, you're probably giving giving a long thought to looking around. So, you know, not not any kind of a surprise, and, and certainly no animosity on either side. I mean, you know, I, I think Rick Barnes, you know, he put out a polite statement, but that wasn't just coach speak. I mean, he, he him and Jay, Jay had a good relationship. It just, um, you know. Not 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 going to be able to play a lot, but it's pretty pretty easy decision, I, I think, on Jalen's part um, for what he's going to do next year. And I think he's the kind of guy that can, that will move down and, and you know could could really be a, a nice player for somebody at the mid mid major level. He
2: really, and so that, he really improved a lot, Rob. I mean, I, I mean, he wasn't spectacular, but he he showed signs of life this year, right? More so than in years past. He did. I was, mean, he, he had some nice
1: games. The- I mean, he he was a factor at um. You know, the, the big win at Kentucky and a couple threes. I mean, yeah, but but, but again, you're looking at a backcourt next year that has. It's bringing – only lost Jordan Bowden, bringing back bring bringing back Josiah James. Victor Bailey gets eligible. You're adding you know, two five-star top-20 recruits and Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. Jaden averaged 15 minutes a game this year. I, I think that number was probably going to go down uh, maybe a lot, maybe to, to almost zero. And, and so I think it was just an easy decision for him. If you're well, a fifth year guy, you, know, you don't want to be the, the, the third or fourth guy coming off the bench when you can go somewhere. You know I'm just throwing this at you know UNC Greensboro maybe. You know that's an NCAA tournament type team in the Southern Conference. You know maybe he lands there. He's from Durham. I, I would suspect that he will end up somewhere back in the Carolinas. I don't know that, I'm just speculating, but he's the guy that I could see at a Southern Conference school that level, it be, being a really valuable piece of, of somebody's team.
0: Well, we'll certainly talk more about that throughout the mailbag here because there's a couple of questions about where Tennessee goes next, but not earth shattering news there. Jesse, uh, you had the story yesterday with uh, comments from Jeremy Pruitt that he made on ball calls, just kind of about his approach to things. And it's kind of ironic, I think, you know, you mentioned this in the story, Jesse. Jeremy Pruitt has the reputation it's all ball all the time. He made it clear Monday night right now, it's not about ball at all.
3: No, I mean, he's, I, you know, I, and I fully believe it. I think, you know, both privately and, and publicly, you know, he's showing kind of a softer side through this whole crisis. And uh, his priority right now and main focus is it's kind of twofold. It's making sure that the guys, his players, their families are safe. Uh, and then secondarily, it's, it's academics. And, and, you know, with the Thornton Center access – uh, being closed, campus being closed, the, the facilities being shuttered? How does Tennessee and the staff um, make sure that these guys continue to, to do their work academically? He kind of talked about the adjustments of, of so many guys having, you know, now transition to online classes, something many are not used to. Uh, and, again, this is a challenge that, you know, every school in the country is having to deal with. But I just think it's notable that, you know, for a guy who is pretty brash and can be pretty blunt – uh, at times that, you know, he has certainly shown a, a much softer uh, tone to kind of this whole crisis right now.
0: You know, Austin, you've what? visited with Coach as well. I mean, it, Jesse's right. It's not a public coach speak thing with where his mentality and his mindset is.
2: No, sometimes he'll tell me things in, in, in confidence and that, you know, it differs a little bit from, you know, what he might say in a press conference. Uh, but no, this was the same thing he told me uh, you know, a week and a half ago, Brent, um, when I talked to him, it was the same exact answer. And, uh, you know, he, he's, I think, one, I think it's a little easier to look at it from this, because, I mean, you know, again, this isn't something where, like, you know, a few people ha- are sick, and, but, I mean, people are dying. So, I mean, like, you know, I think it's easier to look at this with a uh, with a different look, look. And, at the end of the day, everybody is not practicing football this spring. I mean, yeah, some got more practices in than others, but, I mean, you know, I think, you know, for a lot of these coaches, it's, it's, a uh, you know, look at, look at the big picture here. It's about safety. Um, look at you know, these other sports leagues, the NBA, obviously is double did with the number of players that are tested positive. You've had, you know, you had senators, you've had actors and actresses. I mean, you know, this is touching everyone. And so, um, you know, I may be a surprise to begin with, but not surprised to see him, uh you know, be as, as candid about the fact that, you know, th- there's a lot more important things than, than the pigskin right
0: now. Yeah. As, as we get into the mailbag questions here, I will say this and talking to numerous administrators and coaches on campus the last few days, the academic side of things is the most important deal. That, that's the one where, um, everybody's, I don't want to say, con, you know, overly concerned, but that's the one that that's the thing they're all trying to manage And that's the thing they're all trying to to keep a handle on and their biggest concern moving forward that way. All right, let's jump into the uh, Blue Water Climate Control uh, mailbag podcast here with the mailbag questions. We'll start with Simpsonville. um, And I'll throw this out to anybody who wants to jump in there. Will there be permanent changes to the college sports processes, culture events, et cetera, due to this situation? Do you think there will do you guys think there will be major changes? I think the biggest change is. How much people are going to spend discretionary income moving forward? I think that's the biggest change we'll see. I think if it's, I, I don't, you know, maybe we we play with limited crowds or something right now, Jesse. But I think we'll get back to the full crowds. I think the biggest question is what's attendance going to look like with discretionary income.
3: Yeah, attendance. I, I think this is also going to have uh, folks kind of really pontificating about scheduling, uh, timing. Um, you know, depending on how this goes with both basketball and football, how, how it lingers, I think there's going to be a lot of discussions for recruiting and the recruiting calendar. Uh, but, you know, as we've stated throughout this whole deal, I mean, it's it's a fluid process and, and it continues to kind of unfold each day. I mean, today, you know, as we sit here and record this Wednesday, you know, you know, Mark Cuban's saying optimistically, you know, he hopes that the NBA could maybe start just before June. But then on the other side, you got you know the baseball folks are apparently arguing about they don't think they can start until well after July and how do how do these leagues manage you know the different uh, you know the 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 players uh, in terms of you know when they're allowed to come back you know year deals and stuff and so it's 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 an ongoing deal and it seems to unfold differently every day.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. All right, let's go to All Orange, who's got a question. Um, Rob, uh, Austin, you can jump in here. Who do you think that are the top five recruiting assistants during the time you've covered college football? Jesse, you can as well. At least one who coached at Tennessee. Who's the most underrated assistant as a recruiter in your time covering Tennessee? Uh, This guy suggested Latrell Scott, even though he wasn't here very long. The best recruiter I ever covered and dealt with was Rodney Garner. I was got. And it wasn't stole close. it out of my mouth. Uh, it w- wasn't close when you look at what he did in '97. Look, I, I mean, Georgia was down. I get that, but when you go to um, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama, and you get Fred Weary, and then you go to Georgia and get Dion Grant, Jamal Lewis, uh, Cozy Coleman, then you, you've you, to me, you're at the top of that list in terms of underrated. I don't think he's underrated now. I think at the time he was underrated. Austin, I would put Sam Pittman on that on that list. He was not at Tennessee very long, but any conversation you had with him, you could tell pretty quick he was going to be a good recruiter. He had been a solid recruiter at other places. He obviously took it to another level at Georgia, which ultimately helped him end up getting the Arkansas head job.
2: Yeah, I, I think he was underrated in his ability to uh, relate um, and, and to be a guy that you know, you know, you knew you could see that yeah. in. Uh, in him, but you know, you're right. Took it to another level when he got to Georgia, and five stars and, and big names were more readily available with what they were doing down there. But uh, did a nice job there as well. I can't believe nobody's
1: give the big fisherman a
0: shout out, Philip Fulmer. Well, I mean, but I don't. I don't think he was underappreciated. I mean, but you're saying one of the top? Yeah, I mean, he the guy could close. He said Roddy Garter. Well, guy, yeah, sure. That free- yeah, it's true. All right, let me let me. He, he said top five recruiting assistants. You know, Philip as a head coach, I didn't cover. Okay, that. you're right. I, I
1: forgot the assistant part.
0: But but he was he was a good head. He was certainly good. Jesse, give me somebody you've covered in your places that you thought were uh, one of the best. Give me somebody underrated, maybe who, at at Georgia or, or Florida and some other places you followed in recruiting.
3: Well, I this. Uh, <laughs> This name will not be – he does not kind of have the the shine as much anymore because of what unfolded at Maryland. Um, But at Florida, and then he's quickly got the job at Michigan because of his recruiting prowess was D.J. Durkin.
0: And he's a guy
3: who worked – he's a guy who – you know, he's worked for Urban. He's worked for Harbaugh. He has uh, obviously ties with with Muschamp. um, And and now he's at Ole Miss – you know, with Lane as the, as the defensive coordinator. So, again, the shine has worn off on him uh, because of, uh, of the tragedy that, that unfolded at Maryland. But he was a really good recruiter um, during my time covering Florida. Uh, AP, your boy Walt Wells was probably a little underrated here uh, in, in the end in terms of just, you know, he got Tennessee, I think, in the door uh, and kind of honestly got the ball rolling with some guys that, that, that they didn't have a lot of traction with.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, he was the one that was standing on the table for Jerome Carvin uh, when when most of the previous staff did not want to take Jerome. And, of course, you know, he, he got him up here a bunch of times. And then, you know, the new staff came in and finished him off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at his track record at Kentucky and the fact that he had them in play with several guys um, in this state and others, um, and was you know kind of the first guy to get in there and offer some of these these kids, um, you know I mean he was the first in on obviously uh, a guy like Adnan Mitchell in this 2021 class when he was at Kentucky, um, so I think that hurt Kentucky as well. And of course, when, you know Trooper Taylor had his hand as a good recruiter. Good, good point. Um, you know, I mean it, it, there, there there's been a few here over the years. Niedermeyer had a one year big splash. He came back down to earth last year quite a bit. But I think he can be right back in that same conversation this year. I just think, you know, it was never. It, he. I think he tried to replicate what he did the year before. I thought that was always kind of, you know, far fetched just based off the fact that what he did the year before as a first time on the field coach was, you know, out of this world. And you know, on Trooper. Guy,
3: I, go ahead, Ron.
2: I was just going to say on Trooper,
1: he, I mean, he, he landed guys who were highly ranked. But I mean, I'm probably missing some guys who turned out to be good players, however, but if you go back and look at all the. I mean the percentage of bust that he had, like for God, I mean th- these are kids that everybody wanted, but Demetrius Morley, Gerald Williams, Lennon Career. I mean Trooper Trooper seemed to specialize in that kind of guy.
2: Yeah, almost.
0: I mean he, he missed on some guys, but he had some receivers. I mean Meacham, Brett Smith, some of those guys. Here, yeah, you're well, right, you're Paul right, well had it, Brett Smith. But Meacham was a pretty good one there. Quit it's just, a it's it's a long, uh, it's a long uh, time uh, ago. Uh,
3: I'll throw, I'll throw out an interesting name, see what you guys think about this one, because um, he was not that great his, his one year here at Tennessee. I got to know him a little bit uh, first year I, I arrived here, but Charlton Warren, since leaving Knoxville, has been really good. Now, he again, he kind of faced an uphill battle because he was on a dead man walking staff uh, the year he showed up. So, he you know, he, Terrell Bailey and some of the guys he landed – Um, obviously do not compare to what he has since landed at Florida and then now at Georgia. Um, You know, he always had the personality that it struck you that he would be good in a living room with parents Um, kind of the air force background and, and just kind of his no nonsense attitude, but he's landed some dudes uh, the last few classes again, both at Florida and Georgia. Um, And so that hasn't helped, did not help Tennessee a lot because he was only here for that one year, but he's kind of developed into a guy that I think is pretty well regarded nationally. Yeah, that
1: doesn't surprise me
3: at all.
0: Well, I think, I think it's also a great example of the challenges that recruiting to Tennessee presents versus recruiting to Florida, recruiting to Athens, Georgia, because of the geography that you've dealt with and, and some things like that. Because there have been some highly regarded recruiters that have come through here that did not have success, and again, part of that with Charlton Warren was he was here one year, as you mentioned, on a a dead man walking staff. All right, let's continue on with the questions here. What impacts of the virus, uh, with the impacts of the virus, my opinion is that the current powerhouses like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, et cetera, are going to likely benefit the most in recruiting. Do you agree, outside of current powerhouses, what schools could benefit from and what schools could be hurt by the current situation? in recruiting, where does Tennessee fall into that? Austin, we've seen I, Ohio State have a run, so what do you think?
2: I agree with this. I think that the schools that have had success, there are going to be plenty of teams that – are plenty of recruits that look at them and go, you know, they're just a safe pick here with all that's going on. I, again, I don't think Ohio State has told kids, you know, hey, you've got to get in now or you don't have a spot, but I think that they have kind of – played the whole, you know, with this whole uncertainty, you know, who knows what how, how visits will take place. I mean, you know, and kind of planted the seed of doubt with several kids. And I think that's why you've seen them get on this run um, here of, of late. Uh, but I do think that it benefits. I think any team that has a good in-state base, it benefits in this current crop. So you know, when I say in-state base, it does not mean it has to be inside the state. It just needs to be within a four-hour radius. So, like, if you if you feel good about where you're at in a four-hour radius, I think you can, you can do pretty good in this class.
3: I do think it was interesting, you know, in terms of where does Tennessee fall into this, what are they doing. I thought it was interesting that Jeremy said on Monday that, you know, the fact that the staff isn't together, that it's actually allowed them to actually have a greater focus on – recruiting right now the emphasis is a little bit higher because you're not game planning you're not kind of doing practice uh planning stuff in terms of spring practice you're not watching film of your own team and so uh this staff has proven uh you know the last two years that they're gonna mine you know as deep as they can and and scour uh as far and wide as reaching i mean tennessee's extended more offers than really anybody in the country um so I, i think that you know, you, you could see Tennessee maybe find some more guys that perhaps they weren't in on a month or two ago. Once we come out of this whole deal, that suddenly Tennessee going to pop for a few guys that maybe we haven't talked about at all because we don't know. You know, we've never seen them or whatever. And then suddenly Tennessee's in the mix with somebody.
2: Well, here, here's the other thing. I, I think when you think about it, like players like L.J. Johnson, and I'll bring him up a lot because, you know, he was a guy that was set to visit here at the end of the month.
3: It's Vic probably Texas
2: more realistic – yeah, but it's more realistic that he stays in state because – think about it. If Let's let's go off the July 1 number. We talked about this the other day. If he – you know, if things open up July 1, where's he going to go visit in the three- or four-week run if they make the month of July open, which I'm sure they will. I mean, it's just kind of common sense to me. Um if we're but back, would it yeah. being Yeah, so, I mean, like, where's he going to go visit in that three- or four-week run? And then the high school coach is going to be saying, hey, don't go too far. It's going to be natural to go to Texas, Baylor, A&M, Oklahoma, uh, schools that aren't too far from where he's at. So that makes Tennessee really, unless they can get an official visit in the fall, and and he doesn't do anything anytime soon, it makes Tennessee a really, really – tough place to see him landing at. And I think there's a lot of kids like that that are, you know, 8 or so hours or more away that like, you know, Tennessee may have a decent relationship with those kids, but at the end of the day, you know, if this thing is kind of condensed into a smaller time frame, it's going to be tough for Tennessee to be a real player for some of those kids. That's why you've got to rely on in-state kids, you've got to rely on kids in Georgia that you have a good relationship with, you got to rely on North Carolina. And, uh, and and several of those top players.
3: I don't know about y'all, but I, I think that if this thing goes deep into the fall where where the, the football season may even have to be truncated or whatever, I think there's a realistic chance they end up eliminating their early signing period because of this for this one year. Now, again, that that we're talking about some really bad things happening if we go that deep into the the summer schedule. But I do think it's at least a possibility to to, to kind of acknowledge
0: well, I think there's going to be a lot of coaches out there advocate for that because of the missed time that they've had in recruiting for establishing the relationships. Now, will we'll, you know, would kids be on board with that? Would the NCAA listen to it that way? or Would they see that as kind of coaches whining a little bit? I don't think there's any doubt that there's going to be coaches who, who are going to be pining for that uh, when we get to that point of, of things being back open. All right, let's go to C.D. Vol here. One player that Tennessee has signed in football in the last 10 years that – You questioned why Tennessee took them, but they ended up being a good player here. I like this question. I actually did some research for this one. I'm going to throw out, Rob, uh, I'll start with you. I'm going to throw out three or four names here that jumped out to me. Um, Jordan Williams ended up being a better player here than I thought he would be. Gainesville, took him. Yeah, Florida did not want him. Uh, That's always a red flag. Did not have a great start to his career. Found a a spot at the end to the point that he got on an NFL roster for a while. Tennessee took Jay Sean Robertson over some other guys. He ended up being a good player. Maybe he the biggest pick. Maybe the biggest for me is Emmanuel Mosley. Uh, just because, look, he was a high school quarterback who was tiny that everybody wondered uh, what the recruiting office had found. A shout-out to Scott Altizer for finding him, and he starts in the Super Bowl this year. So Emmanuel Mosley is going to be my number one because I didn't think he would be, based on his sheer size, I didn't think he could be a factor at Tennessee. Oh,
1: Mo- Mosley, you st- I mean, I'm not not saying you stole that of my mouth, but that would that he would totally be the answer to my answer to that question. I mean, a kid. I mean, God, what, what did he weigh when he got here?
0: 160? About
1: sixty
0: forty? No, about a buck forty five.
1: <laughs> it's like a like a young pole Vaughn Britt Hubs, right there.
2: <laughs> I no, didn't I, I'll, also,
3: I'll 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 throw out two more names because uh, right. I did I did a little research on this too. Now I know that he I don't know if folks question when he got signed i was not here when he got signed but john kelly was a lowly 3 star who did not who basically did not have a spot ultimately at michigan and michigan state they ended up taking other guys uh from that oak park team um tennessee gets him i mean he ended up being very productive you know for 2 years uh you know two of his 3 years here um and then another guy who we don't know how his career is going to finish but I think some heads were turned when Austin Pope got signed and, you know, Lookie Lou, I mean, he was Tennessee's most effective tight end last season. And now Tennessee is really counting on him, you know, to stay healthy and kind of have a, a, a formidable senior season, you know, kind of basically broadening his game and not being just their, their lead blocker, but kind of adding some, uh, you know, elements to, as a pass catcher. something that that's what he kind of came to Tennessee to do. So, Two other names I just want to throw out there. Yeah,
1: also, I mean he's he's not on the uh, Emmanuel Mosley level as you know as far as a, a hidden gem, but I think Cam Sutton is a guy that really, you know, outperformed, you know, what was I probably expected this of, of him as a three star. I mean a guy that's you know, turned into not only a really good corner quarter, cornerback, but one of the best re- punt returners in college football.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Austin, uh back to Austin Pope, you followed him a lot. I – I think everybody wondered whether or not he was going to be physical enough. And ironically, his physicality is what's ended up getting him on the field at Tennessee. Yeah, I was never surprised
2: by his physicality. Really? I mean, he's
0: a, he, he, yeah, I mean, he's athletic
2: uh, and, and, you know, he, he didn't mind physicality. He loved to play linebacker when he was at CAK. So it, it was not a surprise that, you know, he liked to, to mix it up and, and be physical to me, at least to me. Um, well, you saw him you more know, than
0: anybody else did.
2: Yeah, I mean, I saw him when he was at Sevier County, and he really played receivers exclusively then. And then when he moved over to play at Cak, he you know played a lot of tight end, slash receiver. It's all the same in that offense. Um, and then uh, and then played a lot of linebacker on defense. And I thought he was just as good as a linebacker at the high school level as he was as an offensive weapon. So um, not not surprised at all um, that that you know, he ended up getting the physicality. I'm more surprised that he was able to come back from the back problem, you know, because, I mean, that was really something that I thought, you know, when you start getting back issues, it's, you know, it's it's tough to overcome those. Yeah, certainly. We did that
3: st- I will say this. I do think Jay Sean is like the ultimate pick here. Yeah, Mosley did start uh, for the 49ers this year, but I wouldn't say based on this question that he was like a quote-unquote had a good career at Tennessee. I would say he was fine but Jay Sean, the fact that he was literally asked, I mean, we did that big story on him, you know, hubs. and he was literally asked uh, to blue shirt and he didn't even know what that was. You know, I mean, he was, a, he was like a two-star who was asked to blue shirt. And then, you know, sure enough, he ends up starting umpteen, you know, games for Tennessee and has a, a long starting stretch. So th- he is ultimately my pick for this answer.
0: And by the way, if you want to, um, if you want to get depressed and wonder why Tennessee struggled the way they have, Go back about 10 years, start looking at maybe like the 2012 class and and see just how disappointing some of those guys were and and did not finish at Tennessee. You go through three or four of those classes in a row, you understand why Tennessee's been where they've been. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Blue Water Climate Control. Allergy season is here with the sun coming out today and things popping into bloom. Uh, Allergy sufferers are going to be looking for some some good airspace, some place to get out of the allergies. But do you know that pollutants in your home are two to ten times worse than outdoors? Blue Water Climate Control offers solutions to protect your airspace by a variety of ways, including controlling the dirt and dust that accumulates inside your system. What does he do? Okay, Would he really want to take visits or would he want to be on campus and start practicing for some school he chooses? Same type of question uh, for any potential grad transfers out there. Um, putting all these free agent players to go back to the colleges that are at, you know, are going in situation. Jesse, how does it affect, um, how does it affect, A, the grad transfers, and, and then how does it affect Zach Evans?
3: I mean, if, if Zach Evans, I think, is going to be a, a kind of story onto his own because, you know, ultimately, I think most folks thought that he could just show up on campus uh, whenever. Uh, you know, teams basically start those semesters or summer semesters anyways. And I think that remains kind of the case whenever kids are allowed back on said campus, whether it's Tennessee, Ole Miss, or, you know, basing on Austin's theory, could he, you know, for, for the uh, 2021 running back, does he ultimately just decide to say, hey, with all this going on, I'm just going to stay closer to home. The grad transfers – I I just don't think you're going to see many more in terms of this twenty, you know, twenty class. I think there may be a couple. We have Tennessee, obviously, got the punter, but I don't think that there's going to be a ton, uh, a a ton of movement. Kind of, you know, for the rest of this calendar year, I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, perhaps, um, movement. Obviously, for the twenty twenty one class.
0: Austin, give me your thoughts on that.
3: Well, I agree. I think that
2: Zach's either just going to show up to either Ole Miss or to Tennessee. And I think maybe there's a slight chance that he pulls a, a shocker and ends up at A&M. But to me, it's probably Tennessee or Ole Miss. He's just going to show up. I mean, I think he's having you know dialogue with both those schools still. Um, you know, as, fa- as far as grad transfers, I mean, like, how can you take a grad transfer – And Brent, you and I talked about this, you know, kind of off, you know, in in, in our conversations. How how do you take a grad transfer if, you know, they're not going to arrive till who knows when? And then how quickly can you get them ready? Now, I'll say this a guy like Chase Hayden or anybody like Chase Hayden that has two years to play, I think that changes things for them. I think they're way more attractive than a one year guy because. If you can't get them on your campus till July or August or whatever, because let's face it, a guy like Chase, he was wanting to take visits over the next, you know, month. All of a sudden that's off. So let's say he can't take visits till July. That means he's not showing up till August. And then you look at some of these guys on this current team that were probably going to go through spring and kind of evaluate where they are and then make a decision on whether to, you know, bounce out and grad transfer or go into the portal or whatever. How are they doing that with no spring practice? I mean that to me. That's going to be a leap of faith, either to stay or go, by those guys, and uh, and probably be more of a leap of faith to stay than go. Because if you have not, again, kind of like Jalen Johnson, if you've not played up to now, what are the chances with more talent coming in? You're gonna you're gonna play now.
0: No, I think anytime if you're a two year grad transfer, you're always more attractive. But in this case, you're definitely more attractive. Let's go to Galilee here with a basketball question, Rob. I know you have an opinion on this one. Uh, he says he's one of the few that feels playing Memphis in basketball every year helps both schools. Is there anything positive that comes from that that annual game in basketball? Uh, <clears> That's <throat> such a hot button issue with fans. I mean, I, I totally get that the fans
1: dig it. I mean, mostly I, I think Tennessee fans that live in Memphis or just Tennessee fans in general that hate Memphis. Man, I mean, I just I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, if if Tennessee ends up getting Kennedy Chandler, is that going to have anything to do with the fact that two years ago Tennessee played an early December game? In Memphis? I don't think so. I mean, it's a – I mean, they're a, a – barely a – I mean, they, they play in a, a conference that's a – you know, skosh above being mid-major. You know, they're, they're – I, I just – I get why fans like it. Nationally, I, I think Tennessee is – I mean, the way Rick schedules – I mean, which they're getting ready to do. I mean, they're much better off playing Gonzaga somebody like that. I mean, you, you think – you think who? Do you, who do you think gets you more exposure playing an unranked Memphis team that's not been in the NCAA tournament,
0: and how long we're playing Gonzaga?
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, come
0: on, I, give me a break. Yeah, I, I think it benefits Memphis a lot more than it benefits Tennessee. Oh no I get question. The, I get the no rivalry. Question. I get the rivalry part that fans like that, but from a national perspective, I don't think it's a great benefit to Tennessee to do that. Let's go to Pine Mountain Vol. Here we've talked about players missing spring practice and and who it hurts. Uh, if the SEC gives extra practice time this summer, who would be some of the players that might benefit from a delayed spring? Example, Wanye Morris. Um, and also, do you see Cheney using more two, back, two running back sets? I don't know about the two back sets, but I think when you look at guys like Wanya Morris, Graveris Crouch, nobody wants to be in this situation. But if they get extra, if the NCAA gives some extra time in June to work with coaches, there's no question those guys, those two guys coming off injury would benefit from that fact, particularly Crouch because he's moving to a new position if he's going to move inside.
2: Yeah, I agree with this, Jesse. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's almost like the whole notion that if the NBA – and I know Durant somewhat shot this down, but if, if the NBA doesn't start till a certain time, maybe Kevin Durant can come back and play the back end of the season with with the Nets currently being in the eighth spot in the East. You know, so like, can you know, it's a little bit different because practice versus game action. But, you know, for those guys, they were going to miss spring. All of a sudden they get an extended spring, which actually doesn't take place until July. You know, a guy like Juan or Kovars Crouch, to me, that's a big benefit. But it's also a benefit for anybody um, in my mind that, you know, has a leg up on the other guys. Because I I think that, you know, ultimately you're going to ask. It's it's a lot to ask for a true freshman like Bryson Eason, so to speak to come in and and learn a ton in such a short manner. Um, Same thing with, you know, a guy like Harrison Bailey, who got two practices in, but, you know, that's not going to equate to, you know, trying to chase down, you know, the top spot on the depth chart.
3: I I will say I'm going to kind of sit on the fence on this one for now. And part of that is because I'm just skeptical that even if they do open up or allow some extra practices uh, in July about how, I think those are a lot of those are going to be in shells. And I do think it's going to be pretty uh, – I think coaches are going to be pretty cautious because, you know, for fear of injuries and fear of ramping and stuff up too quickly. So schematically, I think it, it will be important for a guy like Cavaris Crouch because he's learning a new position. You're doing a lot of those kind of walk-through type drills. A uh, little more difficult for a Wanye Morris uh, or, or, or even a, a you know, Darnell Wright in terms of just how can they continue to, to improve physically? How can they kind of continue to improve those fundamentals if you're not really hitting that much? So I, I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. I, I am very curious to see how this plays out. But I do agree with AP that and, – and we've talked about this before privately, publicly – I think the spring, you know, the missing the spring has killed a guy like Harrison Bailey's chance to, like, unseat JG. However realistic or unrealistic that was, the fact that he is, you know, missed those 15 practices or or 13 practices, uh, I think that 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 all but closes the door on him starting week one. Now, maybe he can, you know, come into the fold later in the season. uh, But I think to AP's point, guys that have experience, they're going to be the guys that the coaches lean on early.
2: Let's piggyback this right here and discuss something before we move on to the next question. Let's talk about the quarterback room because we all and I think everybody kind of felt like you're going to go through spring, you're probably going to lose one, if not two. Now you don't have a spring. So again, do those guys stick around and have that leap of faith to stay or do they get antsy worried about losing another year of eligibility and bounce out of here right now without
0: having went through spring? I think it's an interesting uh Dynamic. I think the biggest question is how. What are their options if they choose to leave? Sure. Who's who's interested in them at this at this point in time? You know, what kind of commodity are they? I, I think that's the biggest question any transfer has to ask, particularly a quarterback.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a great point, and and you know, most assume that one of Maurer or Shrout or possibly both would not be here come you know May first, May eighth, and and now. Uh, what incentive do they have to leave? To Hubbs's point and to your point too, AP, that if they don't have a landing spot uh, or or an obvious landing spot, what d- do you you know kind of risk it and say, hey, I'm gonna put my throw my you know hat in the ring uh, come fall camp, or do they just say, hey, I don't want this to be a wasted season? I'm going to go ahead and put my name in the portal and use this as my quote-unquote redshirt season or transfer season. Now, Shrout's already redshirted. Obviously, Maurer still has that. Uh, but how that unfolds is going to be quite curious. And, and, and quarterbacks are, the, are, are going to be the sexy pick here, but someone even asked earlier in the in the uh, chat or, 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 you know, questions things about just general guys who may transfer. I do think this whole deal is, is going to kind of uh, suppress some movement because where are you going to go?
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I think that's the big unknown is do you want to get into that? All right, let's go back to a basketball question here. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Um, Kaz Kramer wants to know Anisiki has connections to Tennessee, Rob. Hearing any good news on him, wh- where do you think Tennessee is uh, with in terms of how much they like Anisiki? He says he's going to announce something at the end of this week, having not seen anybody. What are the balls in the race for Anisiki? I mean, uh, the transfer? Uh,
1: as I hit it pretty strongly on the board yesterday, I mean, I think you know, Anasik is a take, and right now I think he ends up at Tennessee. I think we get that yeah, news bet. in the next little bit. I, mean, I think that um, Tennessee feels like they really need front court help. They're they they've been recruiting Musa Cisse, who you know the, the five star kid out of Memphis. Um, you know he's not been to campus yet. I mean he's not, that's not a knock on Tennessee. He's not been anywhere except for Florida State, but. You know, he, they're they're competing against Kentucky. They're competing against Memphis, where he is at Moulzan well, High School. I mean, you know, he's obviously got you know he got some Memphis connections for even and he's reclassifying, up there. right, Rob? And he's going to try. I don't know what I mean. As I spoke to someone yesterday, he said that's yeah. still the plan. You know how that is, is taking place with the shutdown and all that. I don't know, but apparently that's still what he's going to do. But you know, Tennessee's fighting Memphis, or fighting Auburn, They're fighting Kentucky. I mean, I'm not gonna. I uh, have to spell it out for you. That's
0: tough. Yeah. Well, here's the, inter- <laughs> here's the interesting thing on the reclassifying. He goes to a private school, right? Yes. So, so I, I, I guess they're doing all their online. Not all the public schools are doing online stuff. So I guess he's continuing with his academics through the private school, or they may even go be going to school. So maybe he can get there. But for anybody trying to reclassify, it's not a laydown to me at this point, because I don't know if you can get all your academic work done. Yeah, right?
1: I agree. And I am, as you mentioned, I think it is. A little different at the private school level because they don't have all the, you know, they don't have to coordinate 20 different high schools in a county. They just, you know, they can do their own thing. Um, On Anasicki, I I think what works in Tennessee's favor is he's going to decide quickly. He's not taking any visits. He released a top seven yesterday that I mean, kind of shows you um, who's interested and what kind of player he might be. Gonzaga's on there, Louisville's on there. You know, it's, um, so I mean, this is not somebody that, you know, Tennessee's fighting a bunch of bottom feeders for and he's going to deci- decide on Friday and he's not taking any visits. I mean, how many times do you think he was here? I mean, as most know, we're talking about a kid who's Nikki and younger brother, former lady of He's probably been on Tennessee's campus 50, 60 times to watch her play. So I think he ends up here. Unique player. I mean, he's highly productive. I mean, certainly that's at a different level. we play at Sacred Heart. You probably, I don't even know if that's mid-major. It's probably low major. But he averaged 16 points, 12 rebounds a game, and I don't, I, I don't think he's going to be a double-digit scorer. But rebounding historically is a stat that that translates kind of, you know, no, no matter where you go. And I think that's what Tennessee wants is front court help. But he's done and, and, th-
2: and that was always something she brought to the table with the Lady Vols.
0: Yeah, she was. She was a very good, re- uh, very good rebounder in her career. Interesting. He's not that traditional 6'10", 6'11 type guy. I mean, it's a different style well, as you mentioned different style post player who's productive in there at his height 6'6 six, six, 250 i mean you know he's not you know
1: he's not going to be a rim protector which i think is something Tennessee ideally wanted with this spot but again 12 rebounds a game and uh, i don't i don't look for the score to translate I mean i think that's something that you kind of throw out the window i mean look at tennessee they signed james daniel a couple of years years ago he averaged almost 30 points a game at, at Howard. And, and, you know, he was an okay player, but certainly not anybody that was going to go out and get 30 in the SEC. But rebounding is a different deal. I and mean, if you kind of look across the
0: board, going from,
1: you know, college to the NBA or whatever, if you, that, that, that's a skill that, that generally translates regardless of the level.
0: All right. Let's go to a football question here Rocky Top Rowdy, 58. Finding the five best or finding the best five defensive backs is going to be fun to watch. Returning starters at four spots, but does anyone get shuffled around to get the best five on the field? How did they do this? Is, is I mean, where are they at, Jesse? You think with the star, d- does a corner move in? I mean, the, the, in years past, they've talked about maybe trying to slide somebody in there. Is Balaam Buchanan just the X factor at this point at the star that could change kind of what that lineup looks like?
3: Yeah, I think Buchanan is absolutely the X factor and kind of where he is health-wise, where he is in terms of uh, Jeremy Pruitt's mind of athletic ability because obviously he was a guy that Pruitt trusted – uh, and leaned on pretty heavily in that 2018 season. Um, so let, let, let's say that he's just going to kind of be a wild card and they don't they feel like playing him in spot duty. I think Sham then has the star spot probably locked up. You got Taylor uh, and Thompson on the outside. But, I, I you know, wh- while both of those guys are quote-unquote starters, I think you're going to see Kenneth George rotate in um, and continue to play some snaps. McCullough, assuming the way this question is is – is formed they're assuming that Jalen is a starter I would agree that McCullough has a leg up on the job based on what he did at the end of the season based on his upside um but it's not like he started a million games so uh it's really then what happens at that other safety spot where does AP's boy Trayvon Flowers kind of fit in the mix in terms of health obviously they they love his upside but you know, can he practice two straight weeks in a row? I mean, that's, that's been an issue. Uh, Does a guy like, does a guy like Theo, Theo Jackson kind of continue to just kind of maintain a a spot on the field where no, he's not a stud. No, he's not a star, but he'll give you, you know, 30 snaps a game. And then you kind of play some other guys at that safety spot. And then the last name, I don't think he's going to be in the mix this fall. I just think he's still a little bit too green, too much uh, to learn, but, does Tyus Fields find his way on the field for maybe ten snaps a game? That'll be something to watch early in the season.
0: All right, two questions. And I, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say,
3: don't forget Keyshawn. I think Keyshawn's a guy that
2: could could earn some time. Uh, it's a good point. Any in the secondary?
0: Yeah, yeah two, good point there. Not to forget about him because you know. But again, depends on when he gets here. All right, two questions, and we're out the door here. What we don't get to in the in the mailbag on the podcast, I'll try to jump in and answer those in the thread. Uh, throughout the day today as well, but Jake Dog Thirteen Austin wants to know: Give him one in-state prospect that Tennessee currently has momentum with in 2021, and one out-of-state prospect that Tennessee has momentum with in 2021. Walker Merrill and Jalen Wright. There you go. Simple answer there. All right, uh, Mister. I'm not even going to try to do it. Your question is: Is there anyone on the team, offensive defense, whose speed alone makes them a big factor for playing time? Rob, Rob let's start with you. Football. Speed just based on speed, who can get on the field, offense, I, defense? Is there anybody?
1: Uh, D'Angelo Gibbs, maybe at, at receiver. I mean, is he that kind of guy. I mean, I I, I don't. I, I look at that group, and you know, I, I think maybe he's he. I, it, it, it's you know, we we've not seen him. It's all speculation, but for me, I mean, he 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 would be the first name that jumps to my mind on, on offense. Yeah, I would go I, jail. I would go Jalen Hyatt.
2: It, yeah, it, gonna no, go that's with, right. I'm going
3: to go with one of the I'm going to go with one of the freshman receivers, whether it's Hyatt, Callaway, or Weidman, and I don't know which one, but I mean they recruited all three of those guys because they can they can huff it.
0: Well, and here's the thing too, Rob. We know Jim Chaney has a history of being able to spoon feed the offense well enough to a freshman receiver to make them a productive player. See Justin Hunter, see Derek Rogers, and the production they had as a freshman. He doesn't necessarily say, hey, you got to learn X, Y, Z all at one time he can give them four or five plays and spoon feed them into the offense to make them productive. We saw that a few years ago. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the blue water, uh, climate control, Volquist.com mailbag podcast. Again, I'll jump in and get the rest of those that we didn't get to, uh, the couple of things that sort of overlap, but we'll jump, I'll jump in and get to those on the message board. Keep the questions coming. We're going to continue to do a mailbag podcast each and every week, and then we'll continue with our Rocky Top Rewind, and then on Friday we'll bring you the start of our last season rewind where we just take a a hard look at each game uh, week by week throughout the season. But that's going to do it for this mailbag edition. For Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us, and have a great rest of your day, everybody.